go ahead and uh, take your Bibles and take your notes, and let's turn to Psalms and do that. And uh, <clears throat> as we go through the Psalms this evening, do note the fact that we're not going to talk about every message of every book, but we're giving you the overview for you to be able to handle some of what you find in the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms is a the, a unique book in our Bible as far as the way it's structured. Uh, as we'll see uh, as we go through some of the authors, we have uh, in the Psalms, Psalms that were written in uh, about 1440 B.C., uh, all the way down to perhaps 500 B.C., so in the Psalms, you have almost a thousand years of writing. Uh, and what you see across that is that you have people in all sorts of different uh, positions that are authors of this, and some of them are anonymous. We have no idea who wrote those Psalms. But you have a thousand years of individuals who are giving praise to God. Most of this uh, poetry was set to music. It was designed to be sung, though some of it may not have been originally uh, designed to sung. It may have been just poetry. But what the book of Psalms does is gives us the understanding that there is an emotional side to our belief in God. Uh, I, I think maybe you've noted this as we've gone through the first 15 of the Psalms uh, in Sunday nights. We've got one more to go in that. That the first 15 Psalms, most of those are discouraging in some ways, but it's because a person is going through a difficult circumstance. Either their, a friend has betrayed them, a family member, uh, there's some sort of sickness, there's uh, circumstances that have gone wrong, and you see emotion uh, we weren't created to be robots. And what you find is that in all of that, most of the time uh, you find that people write songs, write poetry to express their feelings and their understandings and do that. You know, I was thinking about this and you have a, a song that we had uh, played on Sunday night, It Is Well With My Soul. That's a song of emotion. It is well with my soul. Well, you know the circumstances behind that. The loss of uh, children in a horrible disaster after you've already lost everything in the Chicago fire and to have this message given to you, saved alone. All your children have died. And to go over that point and just say, it's well with my soul. And to go from the fact of just difficulties in life and then going to the point where one day he knew that he was going to stand in glory. Something to look forward to. That's emotional. And so what you're going to find as you read through the Psalms, it, it connects with people because it is I wouldn't say all emotion because there's a lot of logic and a lot of thought in these psalms, but there's a great expression of emotion that goes on in every one of the psalms. And so for us and others, the psalms mean a lot. 
If you were to talk to people about what their favorite passage or what their favorite book is or their favorite verse, they're probably going to give you a psalm, a verse from the psalms, or a whole passage from the psalms. They will tell you that. It's by far the most popular book when you go out and they do surveys. Uh, People will uh, give this uh, as far as... um, looking at different things, you'll find this to be the most popular. And as you go through the rest of your Bible and you have quotations, especially in the New Testament, a lot of them are from the Psalms. The New Testament writers are uh, filling their minds and their heart with what's going on in the Psalms. And so uh, for us, uh, just understand as we go here, it's a, a uh, book uh, that is a combination of a bunch of, th- a bunch of Psalms, 150 of them, Uh, somewhat disconnected, but we'll talk about the fact that there is some arrangement to it. Uh, It's not without arrangement. It's not random, but there is arrangement to it. So let's just go through and talk through, uh, beginning here, who are the authors of this book? And if we were to say right up front who's the, the author of the Psalms, the standard answer you would get is David and you would be partially correct. David wrote almost half of the Psalms. He, he wrote 73 of them. And uh, you will find as you go through, the 73 of these Psalms have the title at the beginning, and, and understand what we mean by the title. Okay, sometimes you don't read that because you're like, oh, that's, that's like commentary points and whatever else. Uh, actually, uh, most people ag- agree with the fact that as far as what we know from the Hebrew texts and all of those things, those titles were there with the original documents. So though we may not read it uh, in our Bible, underst- or, you, know, my, you, you know, sometimes don't read that because you're going, I want to get to verse 1, it is actually, uh, you know, we, we call a scripture, and in fact, as you look at some of the Hebrew Bibles, uh, some of their numbering system is different on their verses because they include the title and it kind of bumps verses down. So uh, understand, as you look at the, the titles at the beginning there, that 73 of those Psalms have uh, David as the author, and it's, it's heavy towards the front. Because you go and start the Psalms, you'll find a number of them by David. And so it's kind of, uh, you might say, top-heavy on the front with what David uh, is writing as far as the Psalms. So nearly half the Psalms. I mean, uh, you think about uh, C.H. Spurgeon's commentary on Psalms. Some of you may have this. uh, The Treasury of David. It's all about the Psalms, but you're kind of going, well, wait a second, you know, it's part of the Treasury of David, and, you know, there's there's these other ones that are written by other people, but... uh, David gets fair claim to the being the author of Psalms and, and because he's pretty much the majority author. You have Solomon, okay, his son, uh, who is known for his Proverbs. But we also know that he wrote a number of Psalm-like things and songs and that, but only two of his lengthier uh, statements and songs, you might say, are are given to us in the Scripture. So Solomon wrote two of these. Asaph, kind of interesting that you come in and you say, who's the one who wrote the second most Psalms? It's Asaph. Asaph uh, was a, a director of one of the choirs, 
And uh, you go through and uh, read uh, what he did. Uh, A heavy majority there in 73 through 83, he wrote this. And so when you're going, okay, the song director is writing this, it's probably something that was going to be sung by a choir. It was intended as part of the temple worship uh, and for public consumption and people to hear this. And so those psalms, as you read them, you just kind of stick in your mind, okay, that's, that's a song director. Uh, you have Heman. Uh, he is uh, the director of the sons of Korah. Uh, you say, who are the sons of Korah? Remember the one who was eaten? His family members were eaten. Korah, that Korah? Yeah. His sons, uh, some of his sons and family continued on, and they seemed to have a part and a role in the worship of the temple. And so you have this guy who is a director of uh, the sons of Korah, and he wrote one psalm, Psalm 88. Uh, Ethan or Jeduthun, there's some discussion if this is two people or one person, uh, but you have four written by that, and so uh, you have him. He's another one of the directors of the choirs uh, there in the psalms. And then you have one that, as I said, you have a psalm that's in the 1400s, and you say, who wrote that? Moses. He wrote one of the Psalms. Um, and so you go, well, did he know he was writing for the Psalms? I, he, it's inspired, and uh, someone came along later. And you say, uh, when were all of these collected? We know that these had to have been collected. Psalm 137, if my mind is correct here, uh, Psalm 137 talks about their captivity in Babylon. They hang their harps on the trees, and they mourn in this. And you go, when did that happen? Well, that was after all the kingdom uh, of Israel had been carried away in captivity in Babylon. So uh, you have a collector probably, and some give uh, Ezra credit for this, that he and his priest gathered all of these psalms together and put them in the 150 that we now have. And this became the Psalter, the songbook of the nation of Israel titles. Okay, let's just talk through the titles, because the titles will give you direction as you read through the Psalms and give you some help, and some of them are pretty obscure. If you've ever read them, you're not even sure what the language is uh, as you read through them. But there are certain titles. We we went through one of these uh, during COVID of last year. Uh, We went through what were known as uh, the Sukkot. Song of degrees of going up is what they literally are. Uh, we call them the Pilgrim Psalms because these uh, are also have that title that they would have sung these as they were on pilgrimages to feast, and so they have that title. So you have this group that's bundled together in their songs of degrees, uh, even though they're not written all at the same time. Uh, you read some of the things that are in the background, and you kind of go, okay, they just collected this as a song of degrees that p- pilgrims would sing, and they come from different uh, generations, uh, much like if you were driving down the road and you're singing as a family, and you'd sing something that's really, really old, and you know the kids want something new, and you know it, it's, it's kind of a conglomeration there. So it is with the song of degrees, uh, the pilgrim songs. Songs of Korah. Uh, you go through, there's a collection that uh, the, the sons of Korah are a part of that, the title. Uh, they're not the authors of it, and what you're reading with that is you find out uh, their descendants, the man who rebelled against Moses and were part of the choir in the temple. And so as soon as you read something like that, you just go, oh, this is something that was supposed to be public. This isn't, and, and in some cases, those psalms are very private matters of individuals, but they wrote it so that it would be 
pronounced publicly what God had done and uh, designed to be praised uh, to be sung by a choir. Uh, Events in David's life. There are 14 different psalms that refer to events in David's life. For instance, uh, we went through this psalm very early on, but it's the very first example of a psalm with a title, Psalm 3. You have this psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And we went through that psalm and we just said, this is a psalm on the worst day of your life. And it's your fault. I mean, think about that. He's fleeing from his son Absalom. Why is he fleeing from his son Absalom? Because he murdered somebody. And God said, this is going to be the consequences. And so as he is fleeing from his son, this is the psalm for that occasion. And you're just kind of going, oh, so I need to read this in my own light and understanding what are some of the worst days of my life that I have caused myself I'm the one who's the cause of this, and I feel miserable because of that. What's David's response? And so some of these things, at times, it's a little bit of a struggle for us to figure out how the psalm immediately fits into that as you get the title of what's going on in David's life, and you read the psalm, and you're going, I would have never picked that occasion to go along with this psalm if you didn't have the title. But it then puts everything in a completely different light as you read that title and you find out this event in David's life. And and what you ought to do when you get to Psalms like this is to go back and read the event. What went on there? Words that were said. So then you get to the Psalm and you start reading things and you're going, oh, hey, I read this in the narrative in in 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel. I, I read that. Uh, And so uh, you do have some of these titles that include events in David's life, and it really helps you to understand that these psalms weren't written in a vacuum. You know, some guy in an ivory tower somewhere that's like, let me write a song, uh, that type of thing. You're going, this is the reality of life. Life's really going on, and here's the circumstances that David is writing in. So you have sometimes events in David's life. You sometimes see this uh, term, maskal. There's 13 psalms that title. And the word comes from the verb to be wise. So all of a sudden you're going, oh, this is a psalm that right from the start is telling me this is to impart wisdom to you. So I'm supposed to learn something from that. That's the the purpose of this psalm itself, uh, for me to learn this. And so you might say these are psalms for consideration, mull this over and and learn what the skill in living that God wants me to learn from this. But right from the start, as you you just read that title, you just go, okay, this is one that I'm I'm supposed to learn something on how to live my life. And understand, wisdom is this. The wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord and awe of the Lord. And so in some of those Psalms, you will find much about God that then dictates how you'll live your life as if he really does exist. There's sometimes as you go through musical instructions, okay, that, that's where you start getting these weird words and weird phrases in this, and uh, even today, people reading this and knowing the Hebrew language and knowing Jewish culture 
are still a little bit sketchy exactly what is meant by this because we don't have some of the original music. Sometimes the musical instructions are that you're supposed to play this with stringed instruments. Okay, and don't think that that's violins and those type of things. It's probably uh, harps and those type of things that we're uh, thinking about and think about David, David being a harp player, uh, probably more along that line. Or this is to the chief musician. This is written for you to have sung. So you do something with this and use this wisely uh, in the worship services uh, of the temple. There's words with reference to choirs. Okay, the, the, these phrases, al, alamoth, shimnith, and uh, niholith, um, these are terms referring to, as far as best they can figure out, to choirs, their instructions to the choir on how to sing, but we're really not sure exactly you know, we're, we're still kind of guessing uh, at the Hebrew behind that. So you have that. Now, there are some psalms with titles that give you the purpose. I mean, the wisdom psalm, Maskell, that kind of is a purpose. But there are some psalms that go, here's the purpose for the psalm. You have certain things, psalms to bring things to remembrance. That's the purpose of this. A psalm that declares certain things from historical past and and what God has done. And so we want you to think historically and bring things to remembrance on how God's worked or what God had to do and judge in certain situations. And so this psalm's for you to consider history, the past, and bring things back up that God especially had done, but had happened to the nation of Israel. You have one that's for the Sabbath day. This is one that's supposed to be sung on the Sabbath day. This is one that's specifically for that uh, Saturday, as we would call it, but that's when they worshiped in the Old Testament, and so this is designed to be sung uh, on your gatherings as a people once in a week. Did they sing it every Sabbath day? I, I don't know. I don't think they did, but uh, it's intentional for Sabbath day worship. You have one that's just a psalm of praise. Anybody know another title for 100 that we use the doxology praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here below uh, it's got a title to it it's just called a psalm of praise and you kind of go okay yeah i i understand that and we we even today uh it fits very well into our praise services we can use it there's one that's a prayer for the afflict of, of the afflicted Okay, here's the purpose, to let you know what it's like to be afflicted. You may be having a grand time right now and things are going well, but here's, here's a prayer of someone who is not. Uh, and so that's the, the purpose for this, a prayer of one who is afflicted. And you have you know, another one that's got a title, and this one is called A Song of Loves, but it's one where we have uh, a song that comes out of this um, out of the ivory palaces. Okay, you have this wedding that goes on. You have the description of the bridegroom. You have a description of the bride. And you're going, this is a wedding psalm, but it's, you read it, it's not talking about a wedding itself. You begin to realize this is talking about something greater than this. God and his love for his people that one day his people will eventually be gathered together unto him. And it's a, a, a beautiful psalm, 
But it starts off as a song of loves, and as you read it, you go, oh, well, this is a, this is a, a wedding, you know? And you go to weddings, and you kind of feel, you know, a little bit more emotional, and, you know, it's hard not to have some kind of love after a wedding uh, in the sense of li- in life after seeing all that goes on there. So a song of loves. Now, there's, there is arrangement of your book, and I don't know what your... Um, how your Bible does this, because some Bibles don't do this, they don't include it, but it's very definitive in the Hebrew Bible, and uh, your, your Psalms are divided into five books. Uh, you say five books. Yeah, it, it's pretty clear that these are divides, they're written in the Hebrew, but there's an ending that you might not have noticed that also is showing you uh, we're coming to the end of our first book, and we're going into our second book, and we're going into our third book. As you go through, there's an arrangement where book one of the Psalms goes from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. And I just want you to turn to Psalm 41 and see how this works. Now, I'm just, I guess I need to do a survey because I don't have this marked in my, the Bible that I had, edition that I have as far as it being printed. I have it marked otherwise, uh, letting myself know that it is. But how many of you have the, the, you know, marking of book one, book two? Okay, yeah, some, some translations do that and some, some do not. And I'm not sure what, what choice it was to, to not include that. But you get to Psalm 41, and you get to the end. Read the last verse. It says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Close of the book. You go, okay, so uh, let's look at the next book. Okay, you have Psalm 42 to Psalm 72. So you're like, okay, well, I need to go to the end of Psalm 72 and see how that ends uh, in order to get what it says. And you kind of get the same thing there, but verse 18, it, it has this blessed statement again. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Okay, closing statement. Okay, so what's the next book? A little shorter. Psalm 73, Psalm 89. 89 starts with that great statement, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known his faithfulness to all generations. But you get to Psalm 89 in the very end, and how does it end? Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. So be it, so be it. And so you go, okay, it kind of closes with this. And so you kind of go, well, I know how Psalm 106 is going to end. Well, well, you probably do, but we're going to go ahead and take a look at it because the last book's not going to end the way that you think so. But verse 48, Psalm 106 says this, 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all his people say, amen. You know, you get the double amen there, but you got blessed as the Lord forever from everlasting to everlasting. That's just kind of the, the statement that's been to this point. And it has this statement, praise ye the Lord. Now that's important because when you get to the end of the last book, now I think you can guess what book five is. If there's 150 Psalms, it's going to go from 107 to 150. But what you need to look at is you get to the end and you go, okay, well, let's just go to the last verse in, in 150 and it's going, no, 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 Let, let's not do that. Let's go to Psalm 146. Psalm 146, verse 1 starts this, Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Now, if we were to say that uh, in uh, Hebrew, we'd say, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. That's a little kid's song, you know. You have one side screams, hallelujah, 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 and the other side says, praise ye the Lord. They're saying the same thing. Now get to the end, and how does that psalm end? It ends with, praise ye the Lord. Well, then look at Psalm 147. How does it start? It starts with, praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. How does it end? Verse 20, praise ye the Lord. 148 starts the same way. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. How does it end? Praise ye the Lord. How does Psalm 149 start? I think we got it. Praise ye the Lord. How does that one end? Praise ye the Lord. And you get to the last one and you get 150 and you're going, okay, praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the salt, psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. You have a five chapter conclusion to the whole of the Psalms. And if you, if you get through the Psalms and don't realize what I'm supposed to do with this is praise the Lord, magnify Him, thank Him, then you need to reread and, and read with thinking and comprehension if you don't get that message. Now, some will ask, why is there five books of Psalms? There are some theories on this, and I, I probably would be okay with the one that I, I'm going to propose to you because I'm going to propose it to you. Um, ah, it goes with the next point. Well, I'm going to give it to you anyhow, and then we'll, we'll go to the next point. When you think about how the Psalms start off, and it starts off in Psalm 1, and it talks about this. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. What's another word for law? What's the Hebrew word for that? The, starts with a T. The Torah. Now, in Jewish culture when you said that word Torah, 
or you said that word law, most Jews would think back to the Torah, the first what? Five books. The first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And what some people suggest is what you have here is that as the, the, you have the, the Torah, but think about what the whole concern of the book of Psalms is, is going to be about the Torah, the teaching, you know, the, the, we get the word law from it, and don't get that in mind. The, the word law is a little bit more expansive, it's teaching. But those first five books are known as the Torah, that what you have in the Psalms is a book that's concerned about the Torah, teaching about God. You go, eh, I don't know about that. Okay, there are two psalms that if we were to say, what are your most popular psalms? People would say, okay, Psalm 1, Psalm 23. But you're probably going to get Psalm 19. And you go, what's that about? Uh, well, it talks about the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the firmament is showing his handiwork, but you get halfway through that and it's talking about the law of the Lord. And you begin to go, oh, so the teaching about the Lord is really, really important. It's able to make things uh, straight and take care of those things uh, and able to do that. But then you go 100 Psalms beyond that and what is Psalm 119 all about? It's all about the Torah. The law of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the testimonies of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord. And so some have suggested that we have five books in the Psalms as a re- I don't want to say restatement, but just reminding the nation of Israel, those first five books were there for your understanding of who God is and what he's like, and this is just another way of doing this, and you've got five books, and so they, they you know, most people will come that it's a reflection of the fact that since this book is all about teaching about God and the Torah and the law as you see it throughout, that there is five books of the Psalms designed to teach, much like Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy would have been in the Jewish culture. And so that's, you know, that's where I think it came from. Uh, it, it makes sense uh, why it would have been divided into five like this. Uh, and it is that this book is much like the first five books of Moses designed to teach a group of people that are entering into a land, but they're God's like give them permanent teaching about it. And so it is with the Psalms. You have this collection that is designed for really all time for us to be taught about God. Yeah, I'm not going to make it much further than this. Let me, um, yeah, let me deal with this next section and we'll be done for tonight and we'll finish Psalms next week. The books have no actual organization other than the last psalm in each book ends with a doxology of blessing to the Lord. I, I, and, and understand what I mean by no actual organization. It's not designed to be read like your New Testament where you have a logical, you know, logical thing going into the next thing. But I will say at times as you read through, you'll find certain themes keep coming up in certain psalms and then it just kind of fades out. 
Um, you get to Psalm like 9, 10, and 11, and it talks about God watching and observing and the justice of God and his righteousness, and it just kind of emphasizes this, and then just kind of disappears for a while. Uh, it does seem like they, the combining of the Psalms, there are sometimes themes in several Psalms, but it's not, okay, this Psalm follows this one. But we do know for sure that there was as you go through, the designed intent of Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. We talked a little bit about this when we started off here, that the first two chapters give the commencement of the two major themes found throughout the Psalms. For you to understand the Psalms, you need to understand Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. Psalm 1 is about this blessed man. Doesn't do certain things but he's also one who does certain things. He finds his delight in the law of the Lord, the Torah. He delights in knowing about God, and, and knowing God is an important thing to him. And so you suddenly, in reading that, find out there are two camps. There are those that are loving the law of the Lord, but then there's this group that are the ungodly. The ungodly are not so. And you find out right from the start in the Psalms there are always two groups. But following God is an individual decision. Loving God is an individual decision. And every person has to come to the conclusion of whether they're going to love God or they're going to be in the camp of the ungodly. As you read the end of Psalm 2, I will say this and and, and just flip there uh, as you you go. Um, It does give us at the end of Psalm 2, how does this person become blessed? kind of gives that little hint uh, because these two books are sorted together two chapters blessed are all they that put their trust in him you start off with the first song blessed is the man who walked not in the counsel of the godly you go well what is this person this is a person who's put their trust in the lord they've made him their confidence they've made him their faith they've put their trust in him and so you start off psalm one and it gives you okay as an individual there are only two groups those that have put their trust in God and those that haven't. But what you then have in in Psalm 2 is you have the choice of the nation because Psalm 2 talks about uh, why do the heathen, or that word is the nation's rage, and the people imagine a vain thing. We're not talking about everybody. And you look at the world and they're raging against God. They don't like him. And you suddenly find that if you're going to be a person who trusts in God and puts your faith in him, you're going to have, what? The world against you. They're trying to break off his shackles. They're trying to break off his rules. They're trying to break off his law. Let's, let's break his bands asunder, as you find there uh, in the passage In verse number three, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. That's what the world's saying. God has certain details that he wants to describe himself. We don't want those. You know, they're restrictive. I read that and I think this was written uh, almost, uh, well, 3,000 years ago and mankind's still doing the same thing just on a more open and vocal scale than they ever have as far as not liking certain boundary lines and things that have been set up by God. And they're going to be battling against uh, the Lord and his anointed. 
And we're introduced right in the second psalm to this one who is the anointed one that we in the New Testament, well, in the Old Testament, that word anointed means Mashiach or Messiah. We're introduced to God and his Messiah. And anybody reading this would go, well, God promised David an anointed one in his line that would be the Messiah. But yet as you kind of read this passage, you then realize, wait a second, it's talking about godly figures here, divine figures, that one is the Lord and one is the Messiah. You're introduced to the Messiah who is going to come and rule and reign. God is going to set him on his holy hill of Zion. Even though the nations are trying to do this, God laughs and goes, really? I'm going to take my son and put him right in Zion where you don't want him to be at, and that's where he'll stay because I've determined this. Uh, And you find, as you go through the rest of the psalm, it's giving us the history of the nation of Israel and the history of mankind that God's got a Messiah that is going to come to earth and God's going to place him right where he needs to, as the New Testament describe it, in the fullness of times he comes, right when he needs to, and he'll come the second time right when he needs to, and that he is going to ultimately rule. So what's the statement at the end of Psalm 2? Well, if he's going to come back and he's unhindered, he can do whatever he wants, well, you better get ready for him. That's your choice as a nation because you end the psalm and it's kind of like the Holy Spirit, some have said the author, the the writer of the psalm, but it's like the Holy Spirit's got his invitation here and he simply says this, be wise now, therefore, ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled, even but a little. You're not going to be able to stand up to his wrath when it's even a small bit of his wrath. And then it says this, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. I mean, this is the choice of the nation. This is what you're going to find throughout the, the history of Israel's, uh, the, the history of the nation of Israel, is that they've got a choice to serve God or serve, we found with Elijah, they're going to serve Baal. That's your choice as a nation. I mean, he stands in front of them, the Lord, is he God or is Baal God? And the nation just kind of sits there silently and goes, hmm. But what you find in Psalm 2 is that there's a choice for the nations to make. Is God going to be your God, or are you going to choose someone else? Uh, Is the Lord going to be your fear? And so what you find in the rest of the Psalms, a lot of them are personal Psalms, and then suddenly you read Psalms that sound like they're addressing the whole of the nation. That's what's going on here. They're going from Psalm 1, Psalm 2, those uh, emphasis individual and national and nation where God says, listen, you need to be people that are ones who are following me, obeying me, have your faith and trust in me. And so Psalm 1 and 2 are the doorway for you to understand, okay, some of these psalms are going to be individual, and some of these psalms are going to be about the nation and what God's doing as far as the plan overall. So that uh, is the directional kind of gateway that you have in Genesis 1 and 2, or excuse me, Psalm 1 and 2 that uh, help you understand the rest of the book. So I will stop there uh, because we have some material just to then go through and talk about some classifications of these psalms that uh, even in the way the poetry is written, uh, you ought to be aware that I had to take the psalm a certain way or 
another way, and we'll discuss that next week. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that we have the opportunity to sing your praise. And I trust that each one of us, even as we sit here in a service like this, that we could instantaneously praise you if called upon. And if we can't, it's probably because we haven't thought enough about you today. And so, Lord, help us to see you as we see the teaching of Scripture that we would learn more about you, what you're like. And as a result of that, even though we may be struggling and going through what we feel like terrible circumstances, if we know who you are, we will still be able to praise. May that be the case for us. We love you. We thank you for your son. We praise you in his name. Amen.